Right. So we're in Titus chapter three, and on uh, I decided to do this message this morning just because uh, it's shorter. I had another message I want to preach, but it's just going to be it was going to be hard to kind of cram it into one sermon, and so I decided to go with Titus chapter three this morning. We've been going through the book of Titus on Sunday nights and talking about things that are wanting. That's why Paul wrote this epistle to Titus because. There were some things that were lacking in this city. They needed some good leadership in that church. They needed some sound doctrine. Uh, they needed some good behavior in that, in that church and in those, in those areas. And so here in chapter three, he, I believe he's addressing more things that were lacking in this area. And we don't want to be wanting in these areas. As a church, we want to be a balanced church. We're never going to be a perfect church, but if we find out there's areas where we are slacking off or we're just not doing a very good job, we should want to fix those things. And thankfully, uh, the Bible gives us the instructions that we need. And so let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. So he says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So again, this is something he's supposed to be telling these people where he's left them, where they're supposed to ordain elders, set things in wanting. And he's telling them, Make sure you let these Christians know over there that they are supposed to be following the laws and obeying the magistrates and being ready unto every good work. And you say, Pastor Tommy, I can't believe you're preaching this right now. We're not even supposed to be having church today, all right? Didn't you hear the governor? He uh, has got it back down to crowds of 10. And you know what? As far as he knows, that's all we got in here right now. But at the same time, you know, aren't you violating, you know, chapter 3 and verse 1? And, but let's go ahead and read a little more because this is a great verse right here for Pastor Skinny Jeans to use if he wants to just kind of go along, if he's intimidated by the government. But let's go, the sentence isn't over. Notice there's a comma there. And then it says, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So notice Paul's saying, hey, because remember, there's things that are wanting here. And one thing that is supposed to happen, it doesn't always happen, but something that should happen when a person gets saved is their life should change. And I'm going to show you in this chapter too that the changed life Sometimes people's lives don't change after they get saved, but they should. People's lives should change. If you're saved today, if you come to this church, you, we expect you to be different than you were before you got saved. And if you're doing some bad stuff, you're like, well, I always did this. this is what I did for the last 40 years of my life. Haven't you got saved? And now you need to be different. Now you need to change your life. And so Paul is telling these people that, hey, you know, before, all right, before you got saved, you had some problems. You know, you sometimes, right? In the past, you were foolish, you know, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts. You were doing all these terrible things, but you know what? You got saved, and therefore, you should change your life. You should be different. We saw in chapter 2, he says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us the denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God wants Christians to be different than before they got saved. Okay, so... Paul, when he's making this statement to be obedient to magistrates, he's saying you need to be different than you were before you got saved. 
Okay? You're not supposed to be a brawler. You're not supposed to be covetous. Don't be out there getting in fights. Don't be out there breaking laws. Paul didn't say to these people, now go be obedient to uh, magistrates, because remember what you used to do before you got saved? How you used to go to church? And how you used to go soul winning? And how you used to sing praises to God? You know, and that, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about evil doing. Because that's why we have these magistrates and people in power for the punishment of evildoers. Okay, not for going to church. And it's funny that Pastor Skinny Jeans would use this verse considering that the Apostle Paul spent a lot of time in prison. The Apostle Paul was getting in trouble with the law all the time. But when he's talking to these people about obeying the law, he's talking about them behaving better than they were before they got saved. Listen, if you were, you know, if you were going to jail for doing drugs and selling drugs before you got saved, you should quit doing that. If you were out there getting in fights before you got saved and being a drunker and doing all these bad things and getting in trouble with the law for evil doing and for hurting people, you know what? After you get saved, we expect you to quit doing those things. I believe a murderer can get saved. But we expect you, if you get saved, especially if you're going to be a part of this church, to quit murdering people. You say, oh, that's very legalistic. Well, <laughs> you know, then fine, we're legalistic. But I'm sorry, you know, if you do, if you get saved and then you go out and you kill people, we're going to turn you in. Okay? You, need, you need to go to jail. God expects you to quit doing that kind of thing. And you say, well, and, and you know, and so we can keep going. All right. You say, well, you know, we all laugh at the murdering thing. But, you know, there's a lot of people. They get saved, and I believe they get saved, and they think it's okay to continue fornicating. They think it's okay to continue living in adultery. I'm sorry. That's really bad, too. You should stop doing that. And go ahead call me a legalistic person if you want, but I don't think I am. I think the Bible told us we should be against that kind of thing, and we shouldn't do those things anymore. Like, But I did it before I got saved. Exactly. That was before you got saved. Now God expects you to be different, and sometimes people get saved... And because salvation is free and they can never lose their salvation, they're wicked enough to think, well, I'm just going to live however I want to right now. And you know what? We're here today to remind you, no, you shouldn't do that. You should not act that way. You should not be that way. And if you were a lawbreaker before, if you were always getting in trouble with the cops before and being arrested on a regular basis, now that you're saved, you know what? Why don't you start obeying those people? Why don't you start following the laws? Why don't you start doing right? And I'm not talking about you know, following the whims of a crazed tyrant wannabe, okay? Who, I mean, because think about this too, folks, and just, you know, understand early on in this thing, people didn't know. We didn't know what was going on in this country. We didn't know what was going on with the virus. And a lot of good people, you know, they followed things out of caution and just at, because they, they didn't know. That was fine. But, you know, we've definitely crossed the line where it's safe to say now that, you know, we didn't need to be panicking like they wanted us to. All right? It's real safe to say that now. We've had multiple instances where judges have ruled these things constitutional or unconstitutional in our own state even. When it comes to our governor's orders, these things have been ruled unconstitutional. Technically, it's not illegal. You know, technically, we're not having an illegal service. Okay? Now, don't tell Pritzker that, you know. You know, he, he thinks that. He thinks that it is, but he's delusional. Okay? Judges have said otherwise. Our Constitution says otherwise. And even if those things didn't say otherwise, our Bible definitely says otherwise. So, you know, we're, you know, 
How many of you, before you got saved, were going to jail and getting in trouble with the cops for preaching the gospel, <laughs> for going to church? Because, you know, these, the kind of stuff that Paul was talking about here was stuff that they did before they got saved. Okay? And that was pretty impressive if you were that good of a Christian even before you got saved, but I don't think that was, I don't think that was happening with anybody. I don't think anybody would claim that. So don't let, you know, don't get scared of that verse right there. It's nothing to be scared of. You know what? I'm ready. I'm ready for every good work. You know, because I do think a lot of the laws in our area and the laws in our land are good. I think thou shalt not kill is a good law. I'm glad we have laws against murder. I'm glad we have laws against stealing. I'm glad it's technically illegal to riot and destroy other people's private property. But at the same time, it doesn't always get enforced. Kenosha, Wisconsin. All right. We just saw, we just saw that yesterday. But either way, uh, Pastor Trendy's interpretation said it just doesn't make sense considering what Paul is dealing with, what he's addressing, and considering he was always in trouble with the law. But we should never get in trouble with the law for evil doing. Okay. Don't be out there hurting people and sinning against God. And that those are the kind of things that we shouldn't be doing. So verse 4 says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And I love this passage because this passage is proof that a changed life, it comes after salvation and not before. And, you know, the repent of your sins crowd would agree with that. But at the same time, too, you know, this proves the repent of your sins, that you have to repent and turn from your sins and quit sinning is a false doctrine. Because he's telling these people to do this after they get saved. Okay? After you get saved, you know, and by the way, that salvation that you got, he says was not by works of righteousness which you've done. So he's specifically telling them they didn't get saved by works, but they've already been washed. They've already been regenerated by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, and we've been justified by grace. And so then he goes on to exhort these people. He goes on to tell Titus how you have to constantly affirm these things. You have to constantly remind people that they need to do good works, that they need to have a changed life. You know why? Because any of us in here, if we're not careful, we can resort back to our old ways. It, it wouldn't take much to get some people, some saved people, right back into sin if they you know, give in to the lust of their flesh. If you were a drunkard before you got saved, it would be very easy for you to become a drunkard again. All you just got it because... I mean, and I don't know. I, you know, thankfully, I I grew up being taught to never drink, and I've never tried this stuff, so I don't have, I don't deal with it like a lot of people do. But I mean, it, it probably wouldn't take much to just get you right back addicted to drinking. It wouldn't take much to get you right back to being addicted to drugs and some of those things that you used to do. And we are just naturally bent on backsliding because of this infirmity of our flesh, and we need a constant reminder. A constant reminder to forsake those things, to put off that old man. That's one of the reasons we need to be in church. If we're not in church, we're not going to be getting those reminders. We're not going to be getting those motivations that we need to stay close to God and to live holy lives. And we might fall right back into that junk. And a lot of people think, no, if you're saved, 
you're automatically just going to turn from all that stuff. Not necessarily. And what's funny, people who act like you're just automatically going to change, they will admit that a saved person can backslide and get back into that stuff. Well, the thing is, if God just automatically turns us from that, then why would he ever let us go back to that? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, but the truth is, any of us are capable of giving into this flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And so we purposefully have to make an effort not to do it. And what the advantage that we have now that we didn't have before we got saved is we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us that helps us and gives us motivation and, you know, and, and convicts us when we sin or when we're being tempted to sin. But at the end of the day, listen, a changed life is not a guarantee for a saved person. And people just need to get a hold of that because that's another reason too. A lot of people get saved 17 times because they can't figure out why their life's not changing. You know, they keep on, they, they're battling temptations in their flesh and they keep giving into these things. And then they're just like, well, why didn't the Lord spare me from that? You know why? Because you're supposed to walk in the spirit. God's not going to make you do it. And so what people do, it's kind of their way of blaming God. So you know what they do? They come to the altar and they get saved all over again. Well, hopefully I won't be tempted to drink anymore. Hopefully I won't be you know, tempted to fornicate anymore. But you know what? Your flesh is always going to be tempted to do those things. And understand, when you go back to doing those things, it was your fault. You did it. God didn't do it. You did that. That was your choice. That was your sin. And I'm telling you, a lot of people, I think they're just doing this resave business. It's like their way of blaming God for all their sins. Well, he hasn't changed me yet. He hasn't saved me yet. And that's kind of what the Calvinists teach. You know, the Calvinists teach that, you know, if you truly are regenerated, you will change your life. Okay, well, if I go back to drinking, then it's God's fault. Because he didn't regenerate me and he didn't change my life. No, it's your fault. You gave in to the flesh. You chose not to walk in the spirit. You chose to continue leaving on the old man and not putting off that old man and putting on the new man like God said to do. And it's like, it's just people's way of just want to take response. They, they don't want to take any responsibility. It's like, I don't want any, everybody wants a better life. Everybody wants to change their life, but nobody wants to take on the responsibility. So you know what their thing that they do is they accept these, this weird teaching that God's just going to save you. And God's just going to change you without you have to do anything. And it's like they think I should just be able to come to an altar, shed a few tears, say a prayer. And then all of a sudden, I'm just going to be a great Christian after that. Wrong. It's always going to be a battle. And we need to be constantly reminded of that. And I'm telling you, this teaching that, you know, you are guaranteed to be have a changed life after you get saved. It's just confusing people on their salvation. And it's, it's causing people to not take responsibility for themselves. And we just need to understand it's your fault. You know, I'd love to see what some of you parents would do if your little kids, all right, if they was reading your theological books, if they followed your theology, whenever you're asking them why they hit their sisters, like, I couldn't help it. You know, the Lord just hasn't regenerated me. You know, I'm just, I, I, you know, he, I'm not saved yet. He hasn't changed me. You know, I want to get saved, but you know, I, I can't choose that. You know, I'm just waiting for Jesus to choose me and make me to repent of that sin and I'll never do it again. But until then, you need to talk to God. Well, you know, why I'd love to see what would happen if your kid tried it. You know what you would say? No, that was your fault. You were mean to your sister. You were mean to your brother. You did that. You would never let them get away with it. But Christians in their theology, that's how they are, isn't it? 
And it's their way of just not wanting to take responsibility. That's all there is to it. Just need to be honest about that. So verse 8 says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Now, are these things good and profitable for salvation? Or is this good for everybody else? Now, let's think about this for a minute. If a changed life is a guarantee, then why was it wanting in this city and in these churches? You know, if why did Titus need to constantly affirm the importance of good works? And if the, and if the point of good works is to be saved or to prove our salvation, then why did he say the reason for good works is it's profitable for men? You see, as Christians, God wants us to be fruitful God wants us to be profitable. God wants us to be a benefit to our city and our community and to each other. And if we're not good, doing good works, you know what? We're not helping anybody. If we're not doing good works, we're not accomplishing anything for anyone else's benefit. And so we need, we should have good works. So we're going to constantly affirm good works. But here's the other thing too. You have all these people out there who think that when we go out soul winning, if somebody believes on Christ and gets saved and then their life just doesn't transform, that they're not really saved. But listen, if the, if salvation makes an automatic change, again, why did Titus need to constantly affirm these things to people in the church? How If those of us who are saved and are in church today, if we need to be constantly reminded of these things, then what makes us think we're going to, and, and we still struggle to change, what makes us think people out there who don't come to church are going to change? They're not. Listen, and we do, we want it, we try to follow up with these people. We try to get them in church so we can help them change their life. So they can start getting victory over sin, but it's just bad theology. It's bad teaching to say that it's going to be automatic. It just does not line up with the Bible. But understand, when you don't have works, you will be unfruitful. You're not going to be good for the other men, for the church, for the cause of Christ. And so again, we want changed lives in this church. We want to help people change their life. When we see people get saved, we, we want nothing more than to see them change their life. It's a blessing because you know, we want good for them, and we also want them to be fruitful. So good, um, good Christians are going to be more fruitful than bad Christians or disobedient Christians. Okay? You know, you know you're going to get more people saved if you go soul winning than if you don't? You know you're going to attract more people to the things of God and Christ if you're living a holy life than if you're not? Did you know you're going to avoid more problems in your life if you're obeying the commandments of God than if you're not? I mean, this is just common sense, isn't it? This is just common sense, and it all seems so easy, but yet at the same time, too, it's not easy. Why? Because we still have the flesh. It's still there, but we need to learn to conquer it. We need to learn to get control of it, and to discipline ourselves. And like the Apostle Paul, die daily. And you know what a lot of people are looking for today? They're looking for a church service that they can go to. They're looking for some crusade they can go to where they get all emotionally hyped up with a lot of good music and with a lot with all the preaching. And they're going to go there and they're going to have a religious experience and they're just going to feel good and they're going to feel wonderful. And then they're not going to, you know, that night they're not going to have any desire to sin anymore. But the problem is, you know, you just can't live that way all the time. 
The next day, you got to go back to normal life, and you're gonna, your flesh is still going to be there. It's still going to be there. It's not going to go away. And listen, you know, when you are sitting in church with the Bible in your lap, with a preacher preaching at you, surrounded by Christians, when you've been singing the songs and the hymns and spiritual songs, you know, you feel like doing good during those times, don't you? You feel like serving the Lord. You don't feel like sinning. You know, most of you, unless you're pretty bad right now, you know, you're probably not thinking a whole lot of nasty thoughts right now. You're not thinking about, you know, bad things because, you know, we're just not in the setting for it. But folks, we, we don't live in this, do we? This isn't, this isn't every day for us, but thankfully we have these reminders and they help us and they motivate us, but we constantly need them. You're not going to ever go to just one service and it's going to give you such a spiritual high that you're just never going to come down off of it. You're, you need, we constantly need these things because our flesh is always going to be here until Jesus Christ changes our bodies at the rapture. So look at verse nine says, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. So he's been talking, remember, we've been talking a long time now about works, talking about good works. These are good. These are profitable. Did you know there's some things that we can get caught up in as Christians that are not profitable? There are, do you know there's things in the Bible that we can get all crazy about? that just aren't profitable? You know, do we really want to argue about the genealogies? I mean, you know, and, and I'm not even going to go into some of the, you know, but there, there's, you know, uh, I, I see a discrepancy in this genealogy and, and in the, the timeline that we see in, you know, First Kings versus First Chronicles. We need to figure out what that's all about. Why? How's that going to make you a better Christian? You know, it's amazing some of the things that people want to fight over that don't make better Christians. They don't make you a better person. They don't cause you to do more good. But yeah, you know, we're ready to fight over these things. You know, we're, you know, we'll, and, uh, I can't think of any good examples off the top of my head, but it is weird some of the things people get caught up in. You know, are we going to inhabit other planets? You know, in the eternal period? You know what? I don't think so. I highly doubt it. And I really don't want to fight about it. You know? Well, I don't know. I think this is really important. I think we need to figure this out. You know, you know, are there, you know, what about these UFOs and what about the aliens? You know, are, are those from outer space? Are they interdimensional? Are they demonic? I think we need to figure this out. Right. And you know, and I have some strong opinions on it and I think we need to make sure we convince. How is that going to make you a better Christian? Fine. There are such a thing as UFOs. You know, the alien grays are Nephilim. How is that going to make you a better Christian? Okay. What is that going to do to help you get more people to Christ? No, it's just it, the stuff that people want to get all bent out of shape over and sometimes even leave church over. It's like, really, that's that's not going to make you a better Christian. You know, I really wish you'd preach more on this stuff. Why? You know, I'm not I'm not Charles Clickbait Lawson that's going to get up me preaching about hollow earth and things like that. You know that. How's that going to make me a better Christian? How is that going to help you? And so, what's some of the other clickbait, just weird stuff that he he preaches about? CERN. I'm not preaching a sermon on CERN, okay, folks. I'm sorry. You know what? And if I have to preach a message about the Mandela effect and its effect on the scriptures to you, man, we dropped the ball somewhere. All right, that's all there is to it. I dropped the ball somewhere. I failed somewhere else, and I got much bigger problems than the Mandela effect. But you know, that's what some of these guys want to talk about all the time. 
And the, let me tell you, these things, they are unprofitable and they are vain. Yeah, but I found a word in the Bible that alludes to that. And I believe all the words of God. Okay, but listen. Yeah, genealogies are in the Bible too. But we've been told not to be fine about these strivings about the law. Okay, you know what? Fine. You, you want to get in a big fight about which laws, Old Testament laws, we should be implementing, which we shouldn't. You know what? You know what? You know where the best place is for that fight? In Congress and the legislative branch. You know what? If you really care about that, you know, why don't you go get elected to office and then try to get some of those laws passed? All right. In the meantime, you know what? We can settle the dispute. We can settle the dispute in here on Leviticus 2013. You know what it's going to accomplish in our state and in our community? Nothing. Yeah, but we're right. Well, congratulations. You know what? I hope you feel good about that and you make yourself feel better. But at the end of the day, you know what? It hasn't made you a better Christian. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that believe in Leviticus 2013. They're sorry Christians. You know, not only do they believe in, you know, stone and sodomites, they want to stone everybody. <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it, it would, it'd be scary. You know, imagine if we just took over, like if our church just took over the government and took over the world. You remember, you know, the, the, they had the Salem witch trials, you know, hundreds of years ago. We'd be having the reprobate trials, you know, the Rock Falls reprobate trials where we're just like stoning everybody. I mean, I tell you what, I'm, it's a good thing God didn't call us to take over the government. Because, man, we would, it wouldn't be pretty. It wouldn't be pretty if Liberty Baptist Church got a hold of things. And so we're just so thinking carnal. And say, well, Pastor Tommy, don't you think we should stone? You know what? When we take over the community, we'll talk about that. All right? Okay. When, as soon as we've taken over the community, let's talk about those things. In the meantime, how about we talk about how we can be a better Christian today, how we can be profitable for the cause of Christ today, be profitable to each other today, and we can talk about those hypothetical scenarios when the time comes. Okay? And when you get, you know, when you get your own planet, do you, you know, like the Mormons teach and the Ruckmanites teach, you know, do we get to make our own laws? Okay, listen. We'll talk, you, you figure that out if you ever get your own planet. Okay? Until then, I'm not really going to worry about it. You know, I'm not going to do a study on that this week. Find out. I mean, no, all planets are going to have to have the Old Testament law. I don't, you know, I'm I'm sorry. That's unprofitable in vain. You know, and I think it, it. But yet, that's what a lot of Christians get caught up into. All it does is it causes division, it causes pride and contention, and it's wrong. These things don't make better Christians. Some questions that people have out there. All they are, they're meant to do is cause contention. That's, that's all, that's all there is to it. There's some things that we just can't possibly know. We're not going to possibly be able to trace all these things down, figure out all these things, but yet people bring these things up all the time. Why? It's a way of causing contention and division. And you know what? It's wicked. That's all there is to it. It's, it's wicked. And so we're going to avoid these things. We're going to avoid, you know, and so when people ask some of these questions about weird stuff, I'm going to try to change the subject and move on to something else. I'm not going to try to answer it. I'm going to try to avoid it. I'm going to dodge it. I'm going to look like the politicians during a debate when they get asked a good question. All right? And I've learned a few things from watching politicians on how to dodge some questions. And you do. You ask me weird questions. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go full Donald Trump and Joe Biden on you. And I'm going to dodge it. And I know how to do it. And, because I watch the debates. But anyway, Look at verse 
Look at verse 10. Now, now get this, all right? Because there's foolish questions. They're unprofitable. They're vain. And it says, a man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. All right? Now, I want to try to briefly uh, answer this if I can. So what is a heretic and what is heresy, right? A heretic is anyone who disagrees with me, right? Or heresy is anything that I don't agree with, right? You know what? We, we all get, you know, everybody's been accused of being a heretic. Everybody's been accused of preaching heresy. Uh, and so, you know, what actually is a heretic or what is heresy? Well, the, the uh, word heretic is only used one time. It's right here. And it says, a man is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Now, let's look at some other verses real quickly where they talk about heresy. Uh, Acts 24, 13 says, Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me, but this I confess unto thee, that, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So here, Paul's being accused of preaching heresy. Okay? Now, keep that in mind. We don't have time to go into all that chapter, but 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen says, For first of all, when you were come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Heresy is, it's not just false doctrine, but it's a false doctrine that is causing division. And so the reason the Apostle Paul was being accused of heresy during that time is because he mentioned the resurrection of the dead in a crowd of Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were divided on that issue, and they got disputing amongst each other when he brought that kind of thing up. So they are accusing him of causing division with a doctrine that they don't believe in. And so heresy, or a heretic, it's not just somebody who believes somebody wrong, but it's somebody who's causing division with that. Because, for example... When we go out soul winning, most of the people, when we talk to them and we ask them, hey, what do you have to do to go to heaven? And often they say things that are wrong. So can we then declare them a heretic? Well, here's the thing. Most of the people just don't know what they think. They don't know what they believe. And even if they do believe wrong, they're not out there telling anybody about it. They're not causing division. They're not teaching anybody. That's just, that's just their thought that's in their head. So if somebody comes into this church for the first time, you know, they've not, they're not from a Baptist church. They're not saved. And all of a sudden we start questioning them and we find out they think different than we do on some stuff. Do we then declare them a heretic and reject them? No, because are they in here causing division? Are they in here spreading their false doctrine? Heresy is something that causes division and something that's contrary to the Word of God, there's a lot of people out there, they're just wrong, or they're simple on things, or they, they just don't know, and but they're not causing division, so they're not a problem. Okay? And, and, and understand, there's a lot, of, you know, for example, there's a lot of Catholics out there. They're Catholics, that's just, what they, that's just what they are, but they're not out there trying to spread their Catholicism. They're not out there trying to convert people. Okay? We're the ones that are out there trying to convert people, aren't we? That's just what they are. They don't know. And, you know, they might not be willing to give up their Catholicism after the first and second admonition. Does that mean you give up on them? No, especially if it's your family or somebody you love. I'm giving them more than one one or two admonitions. But at the same time, though, we're not going to let people come in here 
and try spreading Catholicism. If they did, you know, we're going to call them out. We're going to give them that first and second admonition. And then if they continue to do it, then we'll reject them. But it's not just somebody who's wrong on things or just doesn't know, especially when they're not promoting that kind of thing. And so a lot of times people in their desire to find the heretic, they're going and just like questioning all these people, finding out that they're wrong and then declaring them a heretic. Okay, Don't do that. They need to be like causing division with that. And uh, most people, they're not confident enough in what they believe to try causing any division. So uh, Galatians 5.19, it mentions now the works of the flesh are manifest that are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and it mentions heresies. Okay, Now it doesn't really define it for us there, but that is a work of the flesh. People often like to cause division. A work of the flesh, people like to do, sow discord among the brethren. They like breaking things up. They like causing division. They like getting in between friends and pitting people against each other. That is a very common work of the flesh, and that's what heresy is. It's not just being wrong okay, or being ignorant about something. It says in 2 Peter 2, 1, but there were false prophets among you or among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So notice how these false teachers that have the damnable heresies, first off, they're teachers. Okay, They're not the listeners. They're the teachers that privily are bringing in these damnable heresies or teachings that are false, that are causing division. And so I, I, I think it's important that we understand heresy is more than just false doctrine, but it's false or, or even just a false position but it's a false teaching that's causing division. It's when somebody's promoting something that is contrary to the Bible. Most people out there aren't promoting anything. The people whose doors we knock on, they're not promoting anything. We asked them what they believed. They told us they were wrong. That doesn't all of a sudden mean we're going to just label them a heretic and say, um, sir, you know, some guy comes and visits here that we invite church. Sir, I talked to you the other day. You said that you think it's okay or Christians get to heaven by doing good works. That's heresy. Get out of this church. I'm not going to do that. You know, we're going to preach to him, and hopefully he's going to win him over. Now, if he starts telling people in the church that, if he starts causing division with that, then we label him a heretic. And then, then you throw him out of the church after that, you know, that first and second admonition. So make sure you understand that and so don't be too quick to just go hitting everybody over the head with the heretic label. So, um, verse 12. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. So right here is basically just personal instructions from Paul to Titus, because something we need to remember about the Bible, this was a real letter. Okay, Obviously, we've been getting a ton from the book of Titus for ourselves that we benefit from. But at the end of the day, let's never forget the context and that is that this is Paul writing to Titus, giving him some instructions so he can set in order some things that are wanting. And so he, he throws in some personal instructions there. And uh, I'm sure if we were weird enough, we could come up with some really weird doctrine that we could pull out of those verses. But, you know, we're not going to do that. Okay? So uh, verse 14 says, and let ours also learn, let ours also learn 
those who are of us, those who are with us, to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. So notice how he ends this passage. Okay, or he's he's ending this chapter. Those that are ours, those that are with us, those that are in the church, these are people that are saved. He's saying, let us remind them, let us teach them to maintain good works. Why? For necessary uses, so they won't be unfruitful. Not to prove that they're saved. Not so they can hang on to their salvation. Listen, a saved person is always going to be saved, but you know what? A saved person is not always guaranteed to be fruitful. And let me tell you something. If you're saved and you receive seed, you're saved. But if you remain in that stony ground and you don't get some of the junk that's out of your life, you know what? The cares of this world are going to choke you out and you know you're not going to lose your salvation. You're going to be unfruitful. You're not going to reproduce. And that's what God wants from us as Christians. He wants us reproducing. And good works, following the teachings of the Bible, keeping the commandments of God, these will make us to be fruitful. These will make us a benefit to our church. We will be a benefit to our community if we as Christians, we will change our lives, especially if you were. If you were one that was getting in trouble with the law before. You know what? Police, they should. You know, I I hope... You know, our church one of these days has a reputation for making the police's job easier because we're getting people that are giving them grief all the time saved. And their lives are changing. That'd be a good thing if that could happen. You know, there are there's people out there, I mean, they're on first-name basis with the cops because they see them all the time. They're always getting called out to their house and they're always having to deal with domestic things. And you know what? Police don't like dealing with that kind of stuff. And, you know, it'd be nice... If they could see a change in people's life, hey, you know, we haven't been called out to so-and-so's house in a long time. He hasn't, he hasn't been busted for a drunken disorderly in a long time. I mean, it's Friday night. We should be getting a phone call. And they find out he got, you know, what, what happened? He got saved. And he doesn't act that way anymore. That would be a wonderful thing. And that's something we ought to all strive for. That would help us be more fruitful. If maybe people, if the, if the cops in our area are seeing people's lives transformed you know what? Maybe they'll look into what's transforming them and maybe they'll get saved. And then, you know, if we if, think about this, we get we have a police station that's full of saved people. They're probably going to have a tough time coming by here and trying to shut us down. You know, I, that's just the way I, I feel about it. So, you know, we need to be and if, and if we're doing good works, that's more likely to happen than if we're being bad and not changing our life. And so last verse, verse 15, all that are with me, salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So the book of Titus, it's a great reminder of what every city needs. Every city needs a church that has proper leadership, that has a congregation of people, that has many people in the church that are living holy and righteous lives. And I think I think every city out there in the United States, for the most part, I'm sure there's exceptions somewhere, probably have saved people in it, probably multiple save people in it. But you know what? Not every city has a good church in it. Not every city has good leadership in it. And so a lot of, and the thing is, if we don't get that, if we don't get that good leadership, if we don't get churches started in these cities, if we don't get congregations of people that start living like this, eventually we're going to have a city that, we're going to have cities that don't have any saved people in there. You know why? Because saved people who aren't in church, 
who aren't doing the works of God, they're unfruitful. And eventually, you are. You're going to have a city with no righteous people in it. And I'm sad today what I'm seeing going on because I'm seeing a lot of saved people in a lot of places and a lot of cities, but I don't see churches there. I don't see leadership there. I don't see... I don't see a lot of good, holy living um, um, with people in these places, even though they're saved. We run into pe- we run into saved people all the time here in town when we're out knocking doors. They're saved, but you know what? They're not in church. They're not living for the Lord. They're not reproducing. Listen, they're gonna they're gonna go to when they they're gonna die and they're gonna go to heaven. But if they're not reproducing, if somebody out in this area is not reproducing then eventually we will have no safe people in the, in the Sterling Rock Falls area. And that's not going to be a pretty thing when that happens. And so we need to make sure we, as Christians, if you're saved today, let's have that change. Let, let's not that be wanting in our church. You know, I, I, I want to have a church full, not just full of saved people, but people who have changed their lives and are living for the Lord. That's what we want. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Dear God, I pray you'll... Help us to follow these things. Help us to uh, just remain vigilant and to be ready to do good works. And I pray that uh, you will help us uh, through those good works to be fruitful and to be a great example uh, and a great help to this community. In your name we pray.